Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in rather an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by James Adams, director of Chilton Marble Group, a Bedfordshire-based workshop. James, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, it would be remiss of us uh, not to begin by uh, discussing COVID-19 and how has it affected your business? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is the, the primary conversation we're all having everywhere, certainly in businesses. Um, it really is an unprecedented situation. Um, mm. Certainly, the, the uncertainty surrounding what is going to happen with the business environment uh, what is going to happen globally. I mean, this is something that I think all of us all over the country are really are trying to nail down exactly the path we're going to take through it. Uh, and I think the key is we are trying to be as flexible as we can. We're trying to make sure that we're prepared for the eventualities that, uh, that, that could come, uh, that certainly look like they will come, such as a, a recession. And we're really just trying to make sure our people are in the right spot um, and in the right place to to endure what comes next and then to ultimately when the recovery comes and I believe it certainly it will come hopefully sooner rather than later uh, to maximize our potential. And how has your business specifically uh, adapted uh, to meet the challenge? We have had to certainly the probably the critical thing is uh, we needed to be very clear with everybody. Um, we needed to make sure that mm-hmm. everyone in the business understood what was going on. We needed to communicate the nature and the scale of the problem um, to make sure that everybody was pulling together on this. So there's been quite a few briefings, uh, emails going out, just to make sure that we have the whole team understanding how we intend to respond, um, what the nature of the the threat is to the elements, the different elements of our business uh, across London and in Bedford. And really it is about hunkering down, uh, weathering the storm, but also importantly, and I think this is important to make sure that people have or people keep a growth mindset in that we Mm -hmm. enhance our systems, that we make sure that we're preparing for that recovery and that everybody, everybody in the business understands that we will come out of this and we want to come out of this in the best possible position to, uh, to maximize, again, to maximize our potential once the recovery hits. So of that course. has been our message. Now, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, switch uh, uh, gears here and uh, move on to the reason why you're on the podcast today, leadership. Uh, now, as longtime listeners to the program will expect, I always like to start these conversations out by just simply asking, what does the word leader mean to you? Yes, I mean, that's, it's a curious one. I think, you know, they say in, in philosophy, there's as many definitions of that term as there are philosophers. I think the same goes for leadership. Uh, the truth is sort of that it's, it's contextual. You know, there's different modes of leadership for different times be it a consensus-based or authoritative, such as like now in a crisis. And really, for me, the key is knowing when to apply which mode for any given situation and uh, Mm. the ability to pivot once you recognize that. Now, how would you describe your personal leadership style? For me personally, it's 
it is trying to emulate that flexible leadership leadership style. Uh, but I think the key is that always remembering it's not about me. You know, when we we think of the idea of leaders, we think of individuals. But the truth is, it, it's not about you. It's about the outcome you've been tasked to achieve, and your success or failure depends entirely on that outcome, uh, that that mission, mm. if you will. So you need to be humble. And there's a great book written on leadership by the, the former commanding officer of Delta Force, Pete Blober, which is entitled The Mission, The Men, and Me. And there you have it. You know, your focus has to be on the key outcome. Then it's the needs of your team. And last of all, it's your needs. So you will get up earlier than everyone else. You will go to bed later. And you'll never ask your team to do anything either you wouldn't do or you haven't done. And that really, for me, is, is the nature of leadership. Now let's talk about conflict because it's inevitable. Of course, uh, people are uh, human beings, which are are not infallible. Uh, they do uh, have uh, their own scrapes with each other, and sometimes don't perform as you'd like them to. How do you deal with the resolution of conflict within the workplace? What we try to do within uh, the workplace with conflict is, I think personally, I try to make sure everyone is playing is playing to their own strength. So the first point is positioning people where their strengths and where their interests are most um, interests are most aligned where possible because this this is a great deconflictor. You know, this is a great reducer of conflict. And often conflict arises because people, you know, you're the older round peg and square hole uh, scenario. So for me, that is always the first way I would approach it. Are are these people in a place which is causing them or structurally? within the organization, is that causing them to come into conflict? Mm. But outside of that, then it really becomes uh, taking a, an approach where you talk. You have to talk to your team, find out what is going on. You know, the question is, okay, why do we have a conflict? Is it around personalities? Is it around uh, job, uh, the requirements of the job, mm. the task, the structure of the organization, and then always approaching it that way? in that way. I mean, this is the way I tend to approach conflict and it, and it seems to have been effective um, in my career. Well, let's take a, a journey back to the beginning of your career when you first started out in the world of work. Were there any particular influences on you, whether they be uh, someone uh, you worked with or for or a set of circumstances that really shaped the way that you lead today? Uh, I mean, I for me, what I think has been fantastic about my career is that it really has been so non-linear. Uh, I, I come from a small city on the western coast of Australia. My father was in the legal profession. And since then, I've really I studied law in international politics at university. I've worked in courts, uh, in military units in Australia, in the USA. I've been involved in property deals in Germany and France. At one point, ran a marble quarry in Italy. Mm. Done some consulting in London. <laughs> and uh, now I find myself in this job. So what I think the greatest thing about working across those different cultures uh, in those different environments and really understanding very, very different organizations for me, which I'm, I'm quite blessed to have from that experience is the perspective you obtain on people because going across all of those things, you find some commonalities uh, and you start to understand and get insight into people. And this is the variable which I find will either completely wreck or save the best plan. You know, people are the thing you can, it's very difficult to plan for. So right. if you have some insight into that, if you're able to read situations 
and try to understand how people will respond, often that can put you in a position to approach things from a lateral perspective, which your competitors and uh, your rivals can sometimes miss. So I think certainly for many years, I, I did see a nonlinear path perhaps as a detriment. I thought oh, I should have just gone in a straight line, followed the bouncing ball, but now I count myself as lucky because it, it really can be an immense asset. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Chilton Marble Group? Of course, certainly we weather this crisis. Uh, as I said, we are communicating with our people to make sure that they're ready. They understand that our strategy is really ensuring we're in the best possible situation to maximize the potential of the business once we come out of this. Um, mm. I think that what we look to do is to... Certainly, once COVID-19 has passed, we still face the, the climate crisis, which is an existential crisis, which we take seriously. We're looking to bring, we're certainly looking to find materials that are upcycled, materials that form circular economies, and bring them onto the market here in the UK, because we feel that this is really uh, the growth prospect for manufacturing, for our installation arms certainly for our consulting, looking at working with the stakeholders on how to minimize carbon in the projects that we work together with them on. So for us, once COVID-19 has passed, we renew our focus on that because I think it is becoming even more and more critical. Uh, even when you look at this situation, there's, it's something that's not gone away. And certainly this is something we continue to take seriously and something we'll be focusing on once, we, once business returns to normal. Well, James, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program when this is all over. James, thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That was James Adams, director at Chilton Marvel Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was 
simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, they the quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he 
it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be, who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, You've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it. You you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in? Uh, so Alf, so uh, sharply. Yes, I think for for me certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that. It looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm-hmm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, Al. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, 
the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, 
people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly um, yeah and and with that looking at um, uh, football today uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know, uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.